Tell you what, it might be Halloween, but you know what's not that scary anymore? The All Blacks. Well, according to Japan coach and former wearer of the black jersey, Jamie Joseph, anyway, we'll climb into that with someone who knows a thing or two, legendary coach Robbie Deans. The Black Ferns, on the other hand, were scarily good against Wales to book a semi-final spot against France at the Rugby World Cup. Plus, who you want to pull out of the hat for tomorrow's Melbourne Cup sweepstake and how not to end up 20k poorer as a result. Kia ora Aotearoa, I'm Zoe George and this is The Podium. Sports news, but not as you know it, from Stuff. Well, what a weekend of sport. The Black Ferns have cemented their spot in the Rugby World Cup semi-finals against France this Saturday following an emphatic 55-3 win over Wales in Whangarei. Ten tries in total with Portia Woodman becoming the leading try scorer in World Cup history and Kendra Coxedge thinks the best is yet to come. I believe we can. I think that we're playing a really good brand of footy. I don't think anyone can preview us. Um, we're causing chaos. We're playing on top. You know, we don't have anything kind of too structured. We're just playing the game and expressing ourselves. So I believe that we can win this World Cup. We'll break down the looming semi-finals in just a moment. But first, to that near miss for the All Blacks who came dangerously close to losing to Japan before claiming victory 38-31. Not a great sign when they're en route to face England, Scotland and Wales. Former All Black turned Japan coach Jamie Joseph said other sides aren't scared of the All Blacks like they used to be and Kiwi-born Brave Blossoms captain Michael Leach said the men in black are no, no longer have an air of invincibility. Someone who knows... New Zealand and Japan rugby better than most is former All Blacks assistant coach, Australian national coach, Crusaders coach and current coach of the Saitama Panasonic Wild Knights, Robbie Deans. So I asked him the day after the match if he thought Joseph was spot on. I thought that was a a cheeky shot in the post-match interview. But the reality is Japan is going on to to play a couple of big teams in Europe. And, uh, you know, it was possibly a reference to the fact that the All Blacks had put out the second stringers, or or a number of them. Yes, 38-31. Those final 10 minutes, I must admit, I was cheering quite loudly for Japan, much to the annoyance of the people sitting around me. Um, But what a game. What what stood out for you? If you watching it without being too concerned about the outcome, it, it was a good game. It was a good spectacle. It was a good contest. Um, and, you know, possibly more of a, a contest than people anticipated. But uh, those that know these guys up here aren't surprised. So I guess there is a message in there. The world order is evolving. And there was definitely a message for the All Blacks that people are going to keep lining up to have a crack. Yeah, 100%. Keep them on their toes. Um the thing about Japan rugby, it has evolved massively over the last sort of, well, 20-odd years, but particularly in the last 10 years. And we're seeing the likes of you and, and you know, now we've got Tony Brown and, and Joseph up there as well. And we've got, I think it was more than 100 New Zealand players playing in Japan at the moment. It's got the Kiwi touch, doesn't it? And that's is that being translated onto the park like we saw last night? Yeah, absolutely. And as you saw, these things don't, happened by chance. So as you alluded to, there's, there's a lot of IP that's come up here, a lot of super rugby coaches, a lot of international coaches have coached or are coaching up here still. And there's a, a lot of international players playing up here. So back in the day, it was very much a twilight destination, but it's not anymore. It's, you know, League One is a tough comp and players are only as good as the comp they come out of. And, and that's what you're witnessing. I mean, 10 of the, the Springbok team play in Japan. So 
for those who have experienced it, witnessed it up here, they've seen the the evolution of the game. Let's talk about Vitalik, who got red carded in the 66th minute for a head knock. What did you make of that? And as a coach, how are you changing the way that you coach tackles to ensure that we're limiting head knocks? Yeah, well, I mean, technique's everything. And if you approach your work the way Brady did, then you're going to be liable to punishment. And I guess yeah, everyone will be waiting with bated breath to see what that punishment is. He's sitting on 99 games. So he'll be a bit anxious about that because the judicial process is different and harder again. But yeah, you have to adapt. You know, we spend a lot of time on technique for that reason. But well, not just for that reason, but for safety reasons. I mean, the game has some safety challenges and we have to address them. Will Japan, the way that it's tracking at the moment and the way that the game's going in Japan, will Japan beat the All Blacks one day? When you look at the trajectory of the game and the improvements in the game, you have to say yes, having witnessed yesterday. It's, it's going to happen. But no one wants to be wearing the jersey on that occasion, obviously. So New Zealand will, will try and keep that at arm's length for as long as they can. Let's get to Whangarei, where Stuff's Joseph Pearson is with the Black Ferns. Kia ora, Joseph. Morning, Zoe. How's it going? Oh, well, we've made it through to the semis. How big a deal is that? Yeah, it is It is a big deal. It has been expected even going back 12 months ago when the Black Ferns did, uh, were beaten heavily by England and France, of course, on that infamous Northern Tour. This occasion is is what they've been building for all year. It's going to be huge. I, I'm kind of looking looking forward to seeing how many people actually come out at Eden Park on Saturday night because there was a world record crowd in the opening weekend. And I think you certainly get the feeling from the Blackfins who were speaking on Saturday night after that quarterfinal that their their faces were lit up whenever you mentioned France and, and the sort of occasion that's building for this week. It's a match that is difficult to call at this stage because the French weren't that convincing against Italy in their quarterfinal win, but they still looked pretty strong when they needed to be and never really looked like losing because the Italians were, were not, not great. They were spirited, but not great. And yeah, it's, it's just got all the ingredients for a great occasion and a great match as well. Oh, it's going to be amazing. That 55-3 gap, though, is that the game we needed before heading into such a massive semi-final? Yeah, it's a good point. I, I think it is. As I've spoken about a lot in this tournament, that these big three teams are just way better than everyone else, but in terms of their professionalism and their conditioning, fitness and strength and everything. And... Well, I guess it's all the Blackfins have been able to play. Uh, you know, you can only play what's in front of you. And Wales was certainly good at the start, I have to say. You know, they were they were yeah. tough, they were physical, they were they and they actually threw the ball around a bit as well. To there's a couple of breaks in the first ten or fifteen minutes, but as soon as the Blackfins scored a couple of tries, it was game over because Wales are never don't have the attacking capabilities to break them down. And um, it's going to be interesting on Friday as well because the French have the best defence in the competition, conceding only one try against England in the pool stages in their four matches. And the Blackfins have the best attack with 35 tries. So that's another aspect of this match which is interesting to consider this week. Mm, and it was great to see co-captain Kennedy Simon back on the field for 28 minutes after returning from injury. So what was the most special thing for her in that return to play? Probably just um, being able to play in front of my family um, and then finally being able to feel the roar of the crowd um, and, and not just me giving the roar. With two tries against Wales, Portia Woodman became the leading try scorer in World Cup history. 
She expects the semi-final against France to be a physical match, but for now she's relishing the legacy the Black Ferns are creating. I think the incredible part is seeing the young girls in the crowd. You know, we've got parents bringing the girls into the crowd. Parents are wanting to bring the girls, wanting their girls to play rugby now. I think that's the incredible part. You know, growing up, I never had female rugby player role models to look up to. So Joseph Pearson uh, and the other semi, it's England, Canada. England were just far too strong for Australia on the weekend and Canada was far too strong for USA. But it's going to be England, isn't it? Yeah, the four quarterfinals all went as predicted. England's maul against Australia was, was once again incredibly strong and formidable. It was dreadful conditions in Auckland, which probably suited them more than anyone else. Um, and Canada too played uh, just afterwards as, as well against the US, who, who they've beaten, I think, five or six times in a row now. So... It's it's going to be a good mall battle if you if you if you enjoy those. I personally don't, but a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people in the north might. Um, England, yeah, will will be too strong. Canada aren't quite as a professional setup. They, they've done very they're very very good side and they're very strong. A lot of their players do play in the UK, I mean in Europe as well. So there will certainly be a, ch- a physical challenge for England. But it's yeah, it it's got to be England surely. Joe. Thanks so much. Oh, it's an exciting week coming up and uh, those semi-finals of the Rugby World Cup on home soil. Oh, bring it on, can't wait. And actually, we'll talk about it on Friday, but I'm looking forward to the halftime show with Shapeshifter. Yes, and uh, and I had a chat with P. Diggs, the Shapeshifter frontman as well, So uh, about rugby. So I look forward to talking more about that. All right, go well, Joe. Please get some rest. It's going to be a big week for you too. Yes, it is. Looking forward to it, though. Me too. Bring it on. of course we can't forget the T20 Cricket World Cup and it turns out Glenn Phillips isn't just delivering superstar catches at the T20 World Cup, he's delivered a century with the bat against Sri Lanka to give the Black Caps a 65 run win on Saturday night Stuff Sport reporter Ian Anderson local cricket nut Hey Ian (laughs) Good, can we just talk about Glenn Phillips right now, he is on fire and how about the sprinter's running stance he's using while batting Yeah, he definitely rescued the uh, the Black Cap Sydney on uh, Saturday night. Not Captain Phillips rescuing the the uh, <laughs> ailing ship at the time as he was. He is captain now, as as they might say in the meme world. Uh, 104 of 64 balls uh, changed the game completely with uh, New Zealand struggling. Three wickets down early and Sri Lanka well on top. He was dropped on 12, which was really a game changer. It was a simple catch and Sri Lanka's fielding was awful. And from there, he worked his way into the game and then dictated and then gave themselves a, a score to defend and their bowlers, Bolton and Saudi again, were superb. Uh, yeah, his sprint technique did catch my eye at the time and we have a lovely story from Andrew Gorman on it yesterday with Glenn Phillips outlining that it was a spur of the moment thing rather than something he's been doing in practice, which you could tell because he got his arms and legs all wrong. He was taking up on the wrong leg with his wrong arm sticking up in the air but she admitted that he'll get a bit of grief about it. But um, I loved how the fact that he also mentioned he does it because if he backs up like normal, he's got little arms, so he doesn't get quite a quite a run up as what he should do. <laughs> it was. I reckon we're going to see a whole group of the next generation giving it a go. Yeah, it's one of those things that when you see it, you kind. It's like when Brendan McCullum did the scoop shot. You know, everyone tried it, failed miserably. I don't know how many times I hit myself in the face of the cricket ball trying to attempting that shot. <laughs> yeah, there's so much innovation in T20, isn't there? And no surprise that this comes in into running between the wickets, given the uh, controversy we've had around players being mancatted. Can you just explain that mancan rule to us, for those of us who may not know? Yeah, so the mancad is when you get run out at the non-striker's end, when you're backing up, you're running in, as the bowler's running in, 
you're walking off, ready to take off when the ball is bowled so you can get to the other end as quickly as possible, take a run or two runs or three runs. And if you wander out of crease before the delivery is bowled, the bowler is legitimately allowed to, in their delivery stride, stop and break the wicket and take the bowels off and have you run out. Now it's been a debate for 50, 60 years since the first incident happened in Test cricket um, by the Indian or run of Anu Mankad, who it was later named after, rather unfairly because there was an English cricketer in the 1840s who did it six or seven times during his career but never received the same notoriety as Mankad <laughs> did on that. A lot of uh, talk about whether it's in the spirit of the game. It's in mm. the rules of the game, so it's quite uh, possible to, to be done. And as a lot of bowlers say, there's also there's often talk that you should warn the batsman, say, hey, mate, you're wandering out of your crease before I deliver it. Watch out or I will take the bowels off if you do it again. But then a lot of bowlers point out that no one says to them, hey, look, you're close to no balling. And if you step over the line, I'll just have to rule a no ball and get a free hit. No one gives them any heads up. So bowlers feel that they're fair within their rights to take the bowls off if the batsman is out of their ground at the uh, non-strikers end cheating to get a run. We play England this week in the final. Uh, this is the final game of pool play, right? Uh, Tuesday night and then Ireland is the final game. So mm-hmm. even if uh, Tuesday night's game against England gets rained out, uh, New Zealand will still have a game up their sleeve to play to get another two points, which they should do against Ireland. But of course, Ireland upset England, and there's been a number of upsets in this World Cup, which has been tremendous to see. Uh, but New Zealand is certainly in the box seat. Uh, rain is forecast, showers, thunderstorms is forecast for Tuesday night at the Gabba, unfortunately, against England. But we'll wait and see. drama for the Phoenix men against Melbourne City this weekend. Sports reporter Phil Rollo, have they finally managed to get a win in the A-League? Hey Zoe, um, no, still waiting for their first win, um, but to be honest uh, a draw away to Melbourne City is the, the next best thing. Um, Melbourne City had won their, their first three games, they're still the league leaders after last night um, and the Phoenix found themselves in a, a 2-0 hole. They were trailing at half time and in fact they were trailing 2-0 with 11 minutes to go and then they they pulled one goal back and then Costa Barbarossa celebrated his 50th appearance for the Phoenix with a goal in the 90th minute to, to snatch a, a late draw. So um, considering where they they were, you know, yeah, trailing 2-0, it's, um, they'll be pretty happy with that result, even if they are still searching for that first one. And the Phoenix women have started to assemble ahead of their start of the season on November 20. They are wanting to make history on home soil. What are they looking to do? Yeah, so... Um, this will be the second season that the Phoenix will be playing in the A-League women's competition, and their first season was based entirely in Australia due to border restrictions with COVID. So for their first ever home game, they're aiming for 10,000 people to, to show up, which would um, it would actually smash the, the record for, for any sort of A-League women's attendance, and it's a, it would be a bigger crowd than any football ferns game in New Zealand too. So it's a very, it's a very ambitious target, to be honest. But um, the good thing about... Um, their first game is it actually takes place um, during like a four-week break of the men's competition. So it's going to be just a standalone women's game. And, um, you know, yeah, so it's going to be the only game on in town. And, and you know, I guess all the, the fans will be, um, you know, there'll be nothing else to sort of clash with, you know, as we've seen with the, the rugby um, the last weekend. Yeah, well, that will be – I will be there in my yellow cheering incredibly loudly. Uh, so it's at the stadium November 20, right? Yeah, and it's against Melbourne City, who um, they've got football fern striker Hannah, Hannah Wilkinson, um, and they, they're, they're one of the best teams in the league. So it's definitely going to be a, a pretty awesome occasion, and I'm sure for the players, you know, 
there's, there's never been a professional women's team play a game in New Zealand before. So, um, yeah, as I'm saying, they're, they're wanting to create history. Um, yeah, we'll see what sort of crowd they get. I mean, even if they fall short of that, I mean, anything in excess of, of 6,000 would, would be awesome. Mm, oh, well, we might have to follow up to find out how ticket sales are going. And speaking of the football ferns, the squad's due to be named this week for their first home game in five years. Yes, that's correct. We may even get a squad today. Um, we're still kind of waiting to, to hear back. But, um, yeah, so they play South Korea in a couple of games on November 12 and um, November 15. And that's going to be yeah, the first home games um, since 2018 when they played Japan. Um, and these two games are going to be in Christchurch. And there's quite a few Football Ferns players who are actually from Christchurch who have never played there before. So um, I'm sure a few of them will be um, hoping to, to be included. And, and I think one of them as well um, is, a, is a young Phoenix player, Alyssa Wynnum. She was kind of the breakout star of the, the Phoenix squad last year. Um, she was included in the last Football Ferns squad against Japan but didn't take the field. So she's still waiting for her first cap and um you know that'd be pretty awesome if she she got to do that in, in her hometown oh it's on at the same time as the rugby world cup final i'm gonna have to have two screens <laughs> isn't it like slightly earlier i think i think they were trying to to make it so it was kind of like a big bumper day of, of football watch oh, of sports watching sorry <laughs> well thanks so much phil um we look forward to talking with you more because also we've got the fifa football world cup coming up next year so um there's lots to talk about when it comes to football but um it would be great to see lots of people show up make history for the phoenix women on november 20 yeah exactly and i think the the phoenix are hoping to sort of um you know kick off that momentum ahead of the World Cup as well. And, you know, if you want to, if you've never watched a, a women's football game before, it's a good place to start. Well, absolutely. 100%. Thanks so much, Phil. Cool. Thank you. Here's what else you need to know. In the Rugby League World Cup, the Kiwis beat Ireland 48-10 and will play in the quarterfinals against Fiji on Sunday morning at 8.30am New Zealand time. And the Kiwi Ferns start their World Cup campaign at 5am Thursday morning against France. The Black Sticks were defeated by Spain 3-2 in the FIH Pro League. Their next games are against Spain and India next weekend. Kiwi athletes have made it to the podium at Ultra Trail Australia, a 100km race which is the largest trail running event in the Southern Hemisphere. Scotty Hawker from Christchurch finished second and Wellington's Sam McCutcheon came third, while Cromwell's Naomi Brand finished third in the women's race. And speaking of running, thousands of people ran in the Auckland Marathon yesterday with challenging weather. 2017 winner Cantabrian Hannah Oldroyd made it a double win while Wellingtonian Daniel Jones created history with a first ever three-peat victory. It's the race which apparently stops two nations tomorrow, the Melbourne Cup. So who do we want to pull out of the hat? Here's racing supernut Stephen Stewart with all you need to know in 90 seconds. Twenty-four runners, but here's the first tip. You can put a line through half of them, as they're only there so their owners can proclaim, look at me, look at me, I've got a runner in the cup. Kiwi Connection, sadly no Chris Wallen nor James McDonald this year, but two jockeys, Mick D, who's in the form of his life. He's won the Caulfield Cup, the VRC Derby in the last three weeks, and what's significant, he's come with storming late runs, so feeling him suits him, he'll time it to perfection. He rides Luna Flair, not the worst chance. And Jason Collett, who's Mount Montefilia, was placed in the Caulfield Cup. Real good chance. Now, anyone can pick a favourite, but I'm going to the bottom of the book. Rock bottom, number 24, Realm of Flowers. The Mayor, 
Look, she's a lightweight, good draw, cops bad ground, and it will be wet at Flemington, and has been placed over 3,200 metres. Ticks all in my boxes. A throw on number one gold trip, runner up in the Caulfield Cup, not a bad run in the Cox Plate. Bit of weight, but pretty solid. Number two, I think it's pronounced Duace from the famous Cummings dynasty. It's got to be a chance. The favourite's number eight, Duvier Legend. Well, we'll go with French pronunciation there. Uh, seven starts, so likely race, but the best of the Europeans. And the last bit of advice, look, none of these horses raced in the Caulfield Cup. Have a look at the tape. If anything catches your eye, was running on, maybe throw it in. Good luck. Take a brolly. Producer Jono, for me, it's all about the fashion. Um, I'm yes, I'm I am no good at horse racing or understanding horse racing or anything. But the fashion, I understand. I actually think it's the footwear that undoes most Melbourne Cup outfits because you see people in the glamorous frocks and the nice suits and all that kind of hoo ha. It always falls down because they're either wearing ugly shoes or uncomfortable shoes. I just think back. There's this great photo of a guy a few years ago who is sitting on the steps and he's actually taken his shoes off because he's had 19. 4Xs or whatever and his shoes are just a bit too uncomfortable and I just think if people made better footwear choices we would see a lot less chaos at the races Well I think post-Covid as well sort of active leisure wear is is quite high up in the fashion realm probably we won't see that in the birdcage but flat really funky shoes I'm down for a really nice flat funky shoe yeah good luck getting some <laughs> lululemon across the across the line for Flemington Zoe but I agree with you a, a funky flat should be where people are at mm. oh and and Jono what about the office suite what rules do we need to follow so no one breaks the law well the Department of Internal Affairs is very strict on the Zoe so you need to be very very careful prize money can't exceed five hundred dollars all money raised must be returned as prizes. You can't trade firearms, liquor, tobacco <laughs> or sexual services as prizes. And the organiser can't pocket a fee or profit in any way from holding a sweepstake. So if Susan from Finance says she's keeping 10% as her fee for running the whole thing, you tell Susan she needs to get back in her box. And if you break any of these rules, it's a possible fine of up to 20k. What? Wow. I know. I know, yeah, that could definitely buy a lot of sensible flats to wear to Flemington. It absolutely could. Oh, well, it sounds like it's going to be wet underfoot for fillies and fashionistas alike at the Melbourne Cup tomorrow. And that's it for the podium today. I'm Zoe George, and on behalf of our guests this week, producer Jono Williams and Philippa Tolley, and audio editor Connor Scott, thanks so much for listening. You can get in touch with us now via email, thepodium at stuff.co.nz. We'll see you Friday. Until then, na mihi, go well. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The human race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.